Welcome to The Investor Investor. I'm sat opposite Susie Reynolds. Susie's passion for angel investing has led her to sit on the board of the Wellington Region's Angel Network, the Angel HQ, and is the Executive Director of New Zealand Angel Association. So a degree in law, yet a life in angel investing. How did it all begin? Great question. I mulled on whether or not I was going to tell the God's honest truth about why I'm sitting here in front of you doing what I'm doing now. And I thought, oh, what the heck? So I've had this wee thing since I was quite a small child, as lots of small children, especially girls, I think, seem to have. I wanted to save the world. And so my route to that, I was actually at a pretty specific goal. And I was going to be president of the United Nations. I thought that would do the trick in terms of, you know, stopping all wars. And, you know, pretty rapidly um, became aware that that was a tad ambitious. Although when Helen Clark, our prime minister, came very close to that role, and I worked in diplomacy for a little while and flew on a few aeroplanes and things with her, and I did think one stage that if she got the gig, I was going to write to her and say, look, you have got my job. Doesn't matter. I'll be perfectly willing to come and help you out. You know, I can be on your wing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could take over from her afterwards as well. Yes, exactly. But yes, as I say, I got a little bit more growing up, slightly less kind of idealistic about the whole thing. And I did have a career in diplomacy for about a decade before I got into this. And I worked in trade policy, tax agreements, international air services agreements, those kinds of things, and World Trade Organization. And that gig led to working for our foreign minister for a little while, for about three and a half years. Best job. Ended up being press secretary for him for a little while. And then back into foreign affairs and got a posting to London. And again, very trade focused, you know, helping New Zealand get spreadable butter into the UK and making sure our access into Europe for lamb and all that kind of thing was coming. But actually, in the course of that role, super, super lucky, great place to live, had a tiny baby in London. But I started to get, and this sounds awful, but I started to get a bit bored. It seemed just kind of so far away from the coalface, negotiating international trade agreements. And and I couldn't kind of see how it was deeply relevant to getting New Zealand kit, you know, across the globe. And so sort of shortcut back to New Zealand, resigned from foreign affairs. And I quite often say to people just, you know, fundamentally, because I couldn't put exclamation marks after things, foreign affairs was just not that kind of place so much. And had another tiny baby. And then, as the world works, was wooed into economic development by a former foreign affairs colleague who was head of our economic development agency in Wellington. And in the course of trying to figure out how I could add a tiny bit of value to that role, and my job title was general manager investment, and I, my key performance indicator was to substantially facilitate, in inverted commas, $10 million of foreign direct investment into the Wellington region. And I used to say to people, look, I could help you know, a Malaysian buy a building on our main street Bish bosh, job done, $10 million FDI into the Wellington region. And that didn't seem terribly kind of productive or helpful either. And at the same time, a lovely colleague or former bud from university kept saying to me, Suze, Wellington needs an angel network. You should, you know, get cracking and set one up. And that sort of like lined up neatly with lots of skinny I was getting back from people I was talking to when I was trying to figure out how to add this bit of value. Wealthy people who were talking about the fact that they were being pitched for deals a lot. They had no idea how to vet them. And these were everyone from sort of property investors to senior, you know, professional service providers. And so a friend and I sat together one February. He was working in the incubator, which was part of the economic development agency, me doing my sort of general manager investment thing. And we decided, right, let's set up an angel network this year. So did you know what an angel investor was at this stage? Not really. I mean, I definitely didn't know what angel investing was going into that role. So this was probably, what was it, 12 years ago, I guess now, 12, 15 years ago. And it was 
It was certainly not a formally recognised endeavour in New Zealand. There were some guys who had recently benefited from a big exit, Trade Me, which is like eBay kind of stuff, had just been sold to Fairfax for hundreds of millions. And they were kind of getting started in the space. And I remember going to talk to them too and just thinking they were so incredibly cool and so incredibly brave investing in you know, early stage companies. But they didn't really call themselves angels a little bit. Actually, my first entree to angels was Bill Payne. And he was coming to New Zealand. And a guy called Andy Hamilton was running Ice Angels, or Ice House, affiliated with Ice House in Auckland. Livewire, huge, huge heart for this kind of space. And he was terrific, really kind of got on my wing too to help us do this. But we were unique again in setting up an angel network from a local government kind of base. So you can imagine, literally, I heard, I don't know, at least a dozen times, why would we do that? Why would we help rich bastards get richer? And, you know, that just made me smack my head on the desk because it just completely misses the point because, as we all know, mostly angels don't get richer, at least not terribly quickly. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yes, we do. Actually, that was the wrong thing to say. Absolutely, we do. But, yeah, so it took some doing to get some support for setting up an angel network, which, you know, we did. It was a business unit of the Economic Development Agency for a little while. Now, here we are 10 years or so later, completely separate entity, you know, nice balance sheet operating out on its own in incorporated society, 80 plus members, over 20 million, nudging sort of 25 million invested. We've had half a dozen exits in the last sort of four or five years. And as a club, Skype Factor Alert, show off. Um, <laughs> we're actually in the black as an entity, you know, not all our members individually. You know, we're kind of proud of that. And I don't want to, you know, it's probably more by good luck than good design. We've been very lucky with our first core of members that they are experienced, dedicated, giving incredibly clever people. So that's been really good too. Good. So yes, long-winded response to your question about how I get into the space. What attracted you to angel investing in the first place? Well, back to my kind of slightly idealistic thing, and I went off on a tangent there, but the reason I love angel investing is because I do fundamentally believe the more we trade together, the less likely we are to kill each other. And angel investing, you know, particularly in New Zealand, and for you guys in the UK, to a large extent, you're not going to create a big market in your own backyard. So that appealed to me big time. The second driver for me is that I'm really proud of the Kiwi MO, and even when I was working in diplomacy, you know, watching New Zealand peacekeepers in, you know, theatres around the world, they have a unique ability to get along with the world and create value and be good players wherever they are. And so I'm passionate about getting New Zealand stuff, New Zealandness out to the world. Somebody articulated it beautifully six months ago, so I can't claim credit for this, but I think New Zealand's USP is we do empathy really well. And that's really powerful when it comes to scaling impact and making a difference. And it also means that we have a real kind of affinity for people in the planet. And that makes scaling and growing businesses, I don't know, more sustainable, more inspiring. But it also means that when you're negotiating exits or you're trying to grow a customer base, we have this kind of, I think, this kind of USP that we can get inside other people's heads and really figure out what's going to work for them. And you saw it and again, I feel like I'm sort of showing off and skiting a wee bit, but you know, watching Jacinda Ardern, she sort of personified it when we had that terrible tragedy in Christchurch a month or so back. It feels like the universe is kind of aligning for us to really amplify that. A good balance between IQ and EQ. Yeah, and a good balance between, I mean, I often say 
and I might be skipping ahead to one of your other questions perhaps, but for me, when people ask me what success looks like for angel investing in New Zealand, I say in the next few years, I want us to be generating five to ten hundred million dollar exits a year. And that's not just because of the financial returns, and we need those for this to be sustainable, but actually those are proof points of value that we are creating stuff that people want to buy around the world. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is. So do you remember your first deal? Uh, Yeah, oh my God, yeah. (laughs) Oh, seriously, on on all sorts of fronts. My first deal was a little bit of coin, and I refer to investing what I call my two packets of chocolate biscuits worth, because I would love to and this is a wee bit jargony, but I would love to democratise angel investing. I want it to be accessible to everybody because I think, you know, not only does it do those things that I was talking about before in terms of, you know, making us less likely to kill each other, but it also, it's such a neat way to sort of generate financial literacy and understand how business models work. You know, I want my kids to be part of doing this, understand why, in fact, they do, poor little buggers, they get, you know, (laughs) deluged with it, you know, around dinner table and that kind of thing, but... Yeah, so I invested into a company called Show Gizmo. It was a woman founder, and she was my colleague who helped set up Angel HQ. And so it was kind of cute. She went off to set up a startup, and I went off to do the angel investing thing, and we've sort of we've kept going down that track a little bit. So yeah, that was my first one. Super proud to invest in her business. She's a rock star chick, you know, one of those get stuff done, writes to-do lists, and they're all done by the end of the day. You know, I can take 20 minutes to write a two-paragraph email, and she <laughs> takes, you know, two and a half minutes. You know, and it's just as gorgeously crafted as, you know, what I would do. So so you actually touched on accessibility mm-hmm. for angel investing. What's the crowdfunding scene like in New Zealand? Uh, yeah, great question. We've got three or four crowdfunding platforms, and they're doing really well. Snowball Effect is completely Kiwi-based. Equitize, it was a crowdfunding platform that started in New Zealand because Australia hadn't set up the regulations to do it in Australia and they wanted to kind of get a running start at it and they're now doing, they're doing really well in Australia and New Zealand. And then Pledge Me is run by a fantastic woman called Anna Gunther and she calls herself Chief Bubble Blower. And Pledge Me is now doing not only equity crowdfunding but also debt crowdfunding as well. So yeah, those are the sort of key players there. I mean, I think Crowdcube has a presence in New Zealand and, you know, two or three others in a smaller scale kind of way as well. So you think crowdfunding is a good thing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a pie that we can all grow. You know, it's an overused phrase, but the asset class kind of nomenclature for this kind of thing is, yeah, it's an asset class and it's relatively new and there's plenty of startups and there's lots of, you know, I mean, you know, it is highly risky. And so I'm always super conscious of making sure that People get that. I mean, people listening to this, of course, will get that. But yeah, it has to be money that you can afford to lose in this early, early stage. Okay, so let's talk about some, not some money you might have lost, but let's talk about some of the pains that you've experienced during angel investing, and then we'll go on to some of the successes. I must admit, I haven't personally experienced like pain in that kind of sense. I've lost money in angel investing, but in both those instances, they were done with such kind of dignity and grace and full transparency brave decisions made by investors and founders that this wasn't going to fly anymore. And, you know, I would back both of those founders again in a heartbeat if they were firing something up again. Elegant failure. Elegant failure. Yes, that's a lovely, yeah. And as John Houston refers to it, you're no reputational loss for anyone. In fact, everybody's reputations were, I think, if anything, enhanced by the experience. So, And I also, I wish we would talk more about it and be more proud about it and more honest and in fact, I said at a gig the other day that, you know, honesty is one of the you know most precious kind of commodities in our space, brave honesty. 
and kind honesty. You know, if we did that a bit more, there'd be less angst about, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, those are the pains on the financial side. But mm. is there anything that kind of pains you about the process or anything about angel yeah, investing I that think, could change? Yeah. I mean, like any part of, you know, business life, there are personalities and personality profiles that are challenging to work with. And I've seen people struggle with that. I don't think we should dodge the painful aspect of angel investing. Of course, it's enormously rewarding and it's a huge buzz. But personally, it can be so confronting. It can be so challenging when there's, you know, in those small startup teams, when there's fallings out, when you are dealing with personalities that are just differently wired. You know, people who attention, I mean, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, the essence of Donald Trump where it's just attention and there is no rationalising emotionally or intellectually to kind of get a founder to sort of see what actually might be more constructive, positive route out of a problem. When you're dealing with those kinds of founders, it's exhausting, energy sapping, emotionally challenging. That's gnarly, gnarly stuff, yeah. You've spoken a little bit about what kind of interests you, but what excites you about angel investing? I really do believe it has, I know this sounds slightly fruit loopy, but I really do believe it has the power to change the world. I mean, not only in terms of the points that I already made about enhancing financial literacy and the more we trade together, we're less likely to kill each other. But the gorgeous, gorgeous thing and the thing that we are so lucky about is that we get to see first off the disruptive business models, services, you know, biotech, you name it, that's coming down the turnpike towards us and be alongside the hugely brave individuals who are, you know, carving out new markets, forging new paths. I mean, yeah, that's what's exciting about it. That is, it is just a hugely exciting space, mm. isn't it? And also the fact that we're kind of getting this, I feel like in some ways we're at the vanguard of changing, you know, the whole way economies that, you know, you and I were touching before we got started on capitalism. And how capitalism, you know, some would argue is a bit poked, you know, in its pure sense. It's not actually taken the world forward massively. And angels in that kind of, you know, I often quote the fact, I don't know about the rest of the world, but certainly angels in New Zealand, some research we did, 80% of any exits or returns they get from exits straight back into startups. So that kind of notion of generosity of spirit, optimism and creativity that's seriously cool. And the whole thing about, you know, we've got to find better ways of, you know, living on this planet. And angel investing is, we're at the front of that, you know, be it life sciences or clean tech or whatever it is. We get to see that, you know, cranking out of the gates. Yeah. I was chatting quite a lot yesterday about how angel investors exactly are the, are the forefront of it. But also there's a lot of companies out there that maybe if they'd gone for angel investment, mm-hmm. What would we see? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Right, I've got a really random question for you here. Yes. What's your favourite angel investing term or word or worst? Oh, my worst. Oh, and it's just, and I hope, you know, any founders are listening going, oh, shit. But is that, please come on this journey with us. If you're interested in this thing, come on this journey with us. Like, well, can we not go on any more journeys? <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably one of my worst. What's my favourite? I can't think what a favourite is. Right now, I'd have to mull on that for a bit longer. Okay, I'll leave that. All right, so let's move on to entrepreneurs. Mm. What does your ideal entrepreneur look like? Big question. I don't know. I mean, we were lucky enough, um, have been lucky enough in New Zealand for the last couple of years to have a guy called Randy Commissar, who's one of the senior advisors at Kleiner Perkins, come and be with us. And he talks about, he looks for founders who have a chip on their shoulder. 
but by chip he meant you know somebody who's got something to prove and is just so driven by that but what fascinated me about him and people like you know your dad is that they have been doing this for so long it's almost kind of cellular it's kind of subconscious they can see which founders are going to hum and which aren't and so articulating exactly what that is you know you could wrap it on for seven and a half minutes about all the sort of you know things that you look for and so I guess I have a very sort of base level of that now. I feel lucky enough that I've been doing this for 10 years or so. And you do sort of see the founder with the X factor. And those are founders who have an ability to kind of be in a lift and, you know, bish bosh. It turns out they're standing next to so-and-so who's head of such and such who connects them to, you know. So those kinds of founders, people who just kind of the universe seems to be smiling on, I, you know, I love them. And the ones who are, just you can see it's a mission yeah that also takes effort though to be in the right place at the right time totally i mean i love the thing our lovely former chair marcel van den he talks about you know whenever anybody says oh they're just lucky he said yeah but luck takes is also about timing and it's also about hard work and i i like that i like that a lot and you can see that and you know founders that you talk to who have just they put in the hours no no i completely agree so you're getting a pitch from an entrepreneur. You're kind of gauging what sort of person they are. How do you scale the idea that they're pitching to you? How do you kind of judge that? Is it a guessing game? I think it's a bit like, I love the whole notion that I don't mean to this undermine or sound sort of disingenuous, but there's an element of when an investor sees a pitch, they know within like three or four minutes if it's something that's kind of like lights their fire. And then they'll spend the rest of the time sort of justifying it by due diligence or whatever else. And it's the same when you walk into it, if you're buying your first house, you walk into it and you think, oh, I just have to have this house. And then you spend the next kind of six weeks, you know, doing your builder's reports and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. I think it's justifying why you should buy it. But that said, you know, the founder, of course, we all sort of talk about the team is everything, but product market fit is the biggie. So that's what I look for after I've kind of been completely enamored by the founder's enthusiasm and, you know, whatever they're doing to kind of try and save the world. How do they prove that to you? I mean, you know, whether it's like, you know, very early stage, they can articulate how they're going to suss that out. And they, you know, ideally they'll say things like, I'm going to stand on a street corner and I'm going to talk to 50 people who have passed me to see what they think about this idea and if they'd buy it and how much they'd buy it for. Or I'm going to run 12 focus groups and talk to people. So just their whole approach to how they're going to figure out. And that whole notion of, I know we're not really meant to swear, you know, but just sell it, you know. Don't be kind of fiddling around in your Petri dish forever, getting it perfect, 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 perfect. And I look for that. That's one of the next things I look for because you've got to find that market. It doesn't matter how cool what you're producing is. If somebody doesn't want to buy it, yeah, yeah, tricky. There's a great story in the UK of a guy carrying around antibodies and just trying to sell them to people around <laughs> the science park. That's really great. You're going to love these. Look, there's a purple one in here as well. All right, so you've got experience as an angel investor, and we'll go on to angel investing in New Zealand in a little bit. Yeah. What do you think makes you an expert, or do you think you're an expert? Oh, God, no. And in fact, I've been trying to kind of get over this, but I have imposter syndrome up the wazoo, and I know it's incredibly self-involved, and, you know, I need to get over it, and it's just a waste of time, and it's all about me. The thing I am least afraid about saying I'm good at is that, I love people and I love connecting people. I love cheerleading for great ideas. And, you know, I think I've got a pretty decent vein of kind of common sense. I've been lucky enough to hang out with incredibly clever people who've done great and groovy things. And 
I'm really, really happy to pay that forward, which is partly why I must admit getting into actually writing checks and being an angel investor in the last four or five years, I felt like I've owed that. You know, I've been lucky enough. It would be such a waste if I had done that first five years of sort of, you know, helping to set up angel networks and, you know, being part of the Angel Association New Zealand, not to have, you know, sort of womaned up and got stuck in. And as I've said to lots of people, I think the primary way you learn in this space, but like Montessori on steroids, you've got to do it. Reading a gazillion books. It's a bit like saying to a founder, just get out and sell it. You know, same thing. As an investor, stop hanging around on the sideline, you know, thinking maybe I will and oh, perhaps you just get in there. Take the plunge. Take the plunge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good fun. Let's move on to angel investing in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, You are the executive director of New Zealand Angel Association. What's the scene like in New Zealand? How many groups are there? What's the kind of the vibe, the culture? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're slightly over-enthusiastic, I think, in New Zealand. I was talking to a guy from Irish Angels, and we're about the same. So we're about 5 million people in New Zealand, a little under, really. We're, there are about 700 angels. Actually, we're probably nudging 800 angels in about a dozen networks, which is a little extreme for you know a long, skinny country that's got only 5 million people. But we play together quite well. We have a monthly call where we all get on zoom and chat about deals coming in and deals that are in train and you know what's going on with others so that works pretty well we syndicate about sort of between sort of 60 and 75 80 percent of the deals that we do between each other because New Zealanders are not wealthy but we are very enthusiastic angel investors in fact you know we are you know sort of startup genome recognizes that you know we uh, if you start up a business in New Zealand you are very likely to get angel investment but that means that we have a real we have a real gap for follow-on so just to finish off on the stats thing this year we've just ticked over a hundred million per annum into angel deals about a hundred deals a year 30 percent of those are new deals and the rest are follow-on which reflects the kind of where we are in the market as well. And we're the classic, you know, in terms of sectors, ICT and SaaS, then biotech and life sciences are, you know, where we prefer to invest. And then our average deal size is about 900,000 Kiwi at the moment. So is there anything that needs to change? Sounds quite pretty at the moment. We're really lucky. But yeah, the things that need to change is we need to keep gunning for exits. We've had sort of sort of six or eight in the last two years, which is good from sort of a 2x to a sort of 14, 15x. And, you know, those are all in relatively short time frames. So I imagine they'd tick the IRR box as well. But we seriously need to get amongst um, that Series A angst that we have in New Zealand. And there are rumours afoot at the moment. Our government's budget will be announced at the end of May. And there are rumours that there is going to be some intervention by the government to help us with that. Is there any government intervention at all? Any, uh, any yeah, part? we have a matching fund, seed co-investment fund, but now they just, up until a couple of years ago, they would match dollar for dollar up to about 750k, but now their mandate's expanded, they can go up to 2 million, and they are also, they're just a syndicate partner, they just invest in their own right, it's an evergreen fund. Yeah, yeah and which did, I, you know, huge credit to them and huge credit to New Zealand Trade and Enterprise they have been right on our wing, you know, as an industry and as a early stage investors to help get this humming and going. But we now need to sort of love up the VC space to make sure that all those deals in the pipeline have some solid. And it's, but for me, critical, critical point, it is not just about the coin. It's about the connections and capability that come with that. And so I fret a little bit if we suddenly somebody, a big sugar daddy or a sugar government said, here's 500 million, knock yourselves out. We could easily waste, you know, 
a third to a half of that because we're still coming up the sort of the maturity kind of thing with the capability piece. We've got some great capability. I'm sure we would do well, but we need to be very conscious of that. Okay. Whereabouts do these exits come from then? Are they abroad? Are they? Yeah, US and UK based pretty much. Yeah. I don't think we've had any sort of Asian or even Australian exits. Most of them are US and UK. That's interesting. Mm. Okay, so we'll change direction a little bit here. What do you wish you'd known when you started out angel investing? Uh, I wish somebody had sort of shoved me in the middle of my back and made me do the, you know, start writing checks sooner. That's what I wish I'd known. What else do I wish I'd known? I think if anything, not being afraid to ask, you know, but then, you know, when I say that, people are so generous anyway. So in some ways, you know, when you're in the angel investing space, you almost don't have to ask because people are happy to tell. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's good. So advice is that? Advice, yeah, yeah, absolutely. How do I do this? You know, don't be afraid. Okay. Yeah. And finally, what are you curious about? New prospects, the new big thing in New Zealand, what excites you? I mean, you know, the benefit of you know being in the role I am, I'm really curious about the point that we talked about earlier about how scaling impact kind of is going to morph and change and how we do that. You know, and I think there's an element of whether or not unicorns, our obsession with unicorns and our obsession with massive financial returns and the sort of blurring of, you know, impact investing, even here in Chicago at this ACA conference, impact investing is a separate stream. And I think we're going to see that kind of blur a little bit more. I think we're all going to get more kind of concerned about seeing not just financial return, but, you know, other returns in terms of looking after each other better. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. All right, Susie, it's been absolutely amazing to hear more about New Zealand angel investing and um, I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you. It was lovely to talk to you too. Amazing. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening to another Invested Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investedinvestor.com or via a number of podcast platforms online. Remember, you can order our book online and be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting and insightful content from The Invested Investor.